Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 62. Psalm 62 and reading for our text, verses 5 to 7. And verse 5, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence, I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Psalm 62, verses 5, 6 and 7. And the word that is before us is waiting upon God with expectation. We are not told over this psalm when it was written, but we know it is a time when David had adversaries and it is thought that it is at the time when Absalom rose up against him. The psalm begins with David stating what he is doing. He says in verse 1, Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. And it is a statement of what David is doing and what God is in verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation is my defence, I shall not be greatly moved. But then in verses 3 and 4, we have the adversary coming in, imagining mischief and seeking to consult the Lord down from his excellency. The adversary not only acting against God's children, but also undermining their trust and their hope in God. Where a soul says, My soul waiteth upon God, and from him cometh my salvation. So in comes the adversary, in comes the enemy, and he questions the, that God will come at all, and questions whether God is able to save at all. So when the adversary comes in that way, then we have David acting again, and in the words of our text, he communes with his own soul and seeks to strengthen those very same things that he already had professed. And maybe with us, we have made profession and confession of what the Lord is to us and how we are waiting upon him and seek that help from him. But then comes the trials of tribulation, something of what we sung of in our first hymn, of the church of God, the people of God. In the world you shall have tribulation, we will have adversaries, and they tend to shake our faith, they attack our foundations. And it is then that we may, when we feel that shaking, to need to reaffirm again and to strengthen again what we believe not just go on as if, well, we will be kept, but use that means that is set before us here and is very instructive to us, the course that David takes in this uh, time when the adversary is attacking. May we remember again, this is the inspired word of God, this is God's word to the Church of God in the same line, circumstances, 
It is also the word of one who is and was a man of God's own heart, David. Of course, David, this is the time that he is serving his day and generation. He's now with the Lord in heaven. But through the word of God, it serves us in our generation, every generation. So I want to look with the Lord's help this morning at four exercises of a living soul that uh, brought before us in these verses. And then lastly, just uh, make a word of application because David not only strengthens himself, but then turns to the people. Trust in him at all times, ye people. It's good for us to speak to others from our own experience and for the helps that we have received. So four exercises of our living soul. I briefly mention them, then we'll go over them. We have firstly a charging one's own soul. Our text begins with my soul. He is speaking to his own soul. He's communing with his own soul. And then secondly, waiting upon God. The exercise of waiting upon God, he says, wait there only upon God. And then thirdly, there's the expectation from God. For my expectation is from him. And then fourthly, reminding ourselves of what God is. In the verses that follow, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And he is reminding himself, and we need to remind ourselves of what God is. But firstly, a charging of one's own soul. My soul. How much do we realise that we do have a soul? A soul that lives for eternity, that never ever will cease to exist. Do we bring to bear that we ourselves need salvation? No, nothing in the things of God are we just standing as a bystander? The Apostle Paul says, let us run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. When I was at school, I was never good at sport. And I thought I could. I had a willingness, but not the abilities. And so often I was just standing on the sidelines. And I watched others run the races. And I could comment on others. But that's not how it is to be in the things of God. If we find ourselves just commenting on others, knowing about the things of God, but never anything applied to our own soul, and never walking through things ourselves, then we really need to be alarmed. We really need to question whether we do really know God for our own God, whether he is our God at all, or whether we have just taken up with religion and can comment on others, but it's never a personal thing. When we die, we must die personally. Our soul 
or leave the body and return to God that gave it. And it is a walking a path that is a very, very personal path and that we cannot walk uh, as, as with another in it. We may have fellowship with others, but it must be personal and it must not be clouded as well with outward things, especially as a minister. We cannot trust in our ministry, in our calling in that way, in those who have been blessed under the ministry. We need a personal faith and a personal walk with God. And David had that. And though he was king, and though he was a leader of the people of God, he had dealings with God with his own soul. And so he begins in this, uh, our text, with charging his own soul. And you might ask, have we also done that? Have we communed with our own soul, had a talk, as it were, with ourselves, a reasoning with our own heart and ourselves? The Psalms are full of these things. It is not just... Just this one psalm, if we went back to uh, Psalm 4 and verse 4, we find that as well. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own hearts upon your bed and be still. Selah. The word selah, the pause and to consider comes often. It comes twice in this psalm, Psalm 62. And it is the we are to stop and to consider and to think of those things that we've read and heard. If we were to go further on to Psalm 77, we find then in verse 6 of that psalm, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. And many of the psalms, they speak of not talking to someone else, but to our own soul, and meditating, going over the things that have happened, what we believe, where our hope is, where our refuge is, and it is going on between our own soul. If we were to go back to the uh, 42nd and 43rd Psalm, we have the psalmist there in a low place, and Psalm 42 twice in verse 5 and then at the end Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the health of his countenance. And again he is speaking with his own soul, communing with his own soul. The end of verse uh, chapter, uh, Psalm 43 we have a similar word. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou cut, disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. We have David when he came to Ziklag and found it burned with fire and those that were round about him were speaking of stoning him because they were very distressed for their loved ones as well, then we read that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It's a similar thing. Where there's a speaking with one's own soul, a communing with one's own soul. It needs to be feared many will never, never do that. 
The hymn writer is not even content with that in hymn 1085, and he still search, Lord, I search my uh, heart, try its real state to find. The secret springs of thought explore, call my words and actions awe. But in this with David here, he's searching or communing with his own soul. There's a good thing to ask that the Lord also searches our own heart and tries our own soul. To David here, the exercise of a living soul, he charges one's own soul. And may we ask ourselves the question, when did we last do that? During the night watches, do we, when we have troubles and adversaries go over what we do believe, why we believe it, we do meditate on that, we speak to ourselves, ask ourselves the questions, searching questions, don't let it be left to others, but search in questions ourselves that need to be answered. So the first then of exercise, my soul. The second is a waiting upon God. Waiting upon God. Wait thou only upon God. And the word only comes here in the waiting and also in uh, the hoping as well in God. Uh, it is a word that comes up often for the people of God not to have some other refuge or other one that they're looking to but only the Lord, one only. It's one of the distinctives of the Christian faith. It is by faith alone, not by works but by faith in Christ alone. So here is the psalmist waiting upon the Lord. We know what it is, of course, to, to wait, say, for a bus. And if we're at a bus stop and we're waiting for that bus, there's nothing that we can do to hasten it. We want it to come. We want it to be able to take us to a certain place. And there's a basis for that waiting, how we can wait. On the post, there's a list of the bus times. And however much we might rely on that timetable and rely on it being uh, a, a correct indication when the bus must come will help us to to wait sometimes we've waited uh, for, for a bus and it, it may not have been on time and we get very agitated very worried is is that a reliable timetable can we rely on it but when we're thinking about the things of God then we are to rely upon the word of God. We are to trust in what God has said and that which we wait upon him for, that he will truly do it. When Ruth had put in her petition to Boaz, then Naomi gave her the advice to sit still, my daughter. She was to wait. Wait, Boaz was going to do the work. And in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth, we don't read of Ruth doing anything. Boaz is doing everything on her behalf and she is waiting for him to do it and to accomplish it. Waiting will be in a spiritual way 
an exercise of soul as we have here. It won't be just, well, it just doesn't matter. When If the Lord blesses, he will. If he come, he will. If it is so, in this case with Absalom, it was a very anxious time with David. Was the kingdom to be overturned? Had not God given him that kingdom? Wasn't it a time too of searching back his own sin? The sword shall not depart from uh, thy house. And also later on, with Absalom, he takes the David's wives, his concubines, and lays with them in the sight of this son. That's what God said would happen. And so there's much that David would have had to go over in his own soul. But here was to be a deliverance. And we think of David waiting for that news in the battle. How was it going? Of course, his desire was he wanted deliverance, but he didn't want his son killed. Really, he was in a very, very difficult position. Sometimes we can be like that too. We wait for the Lord to appear, but we don't know how he will appear. When we think of all the alternatives and all the ways, we shrink at them. And some of them we don't want the Lord to appear for. And with poor David, how distressed he was when Absalom was slain. But it will be that anxious waiting and me watching in prayer. Watching, watching providence, looking where the Lord is likely to come. Where will the Lord likely to come? As we read his word, as we wait upon him in prayer, as we listen to the word preached, we'll be waiting, waiting for the Lord to come through that way. You know, in Elijah's day when the Lord had withheld rain from the earth for those three years and six months, Elijah only had to pray once and the fire came down from heaven. But then when they were to have rain, Elijah was praying and praying and his servant go uh, and go again seven times. But where was the servant looking? He was not looking towards the land because that's not where the expectation was. If you're waiting for a bus, you're not looking uh, one way down the road when the bus is going to come the other way around the road you're looking where you are expecting the bus to come from and so Elijah's servant was looking out to the sea where is it likely a cloud would arise from the sea and the, the, the rain would then form there from the sea and come over the land and so with us if we are waiting upon God then we are looking unto him Perhaps to put it to an extreme, if we are said that we're waiting upon God, but we spend our time going to worldly amusements or going amongst the people of the world and where we never hear the word of God and never amongst the Lord's people, that wouldn't be indicating that we're waiting upon the Lord. If the Lord has said that you come amongst his people, visit them, you think of dear Thomas, who was not with the disciples when the Lord came, when he rose from the dead, and he had to wait another eight days before uh, the Lord appeared to him. And so waiting upon God, it is only upon him, using means, looking to the Lord that he would appear for us. And it indicates that those times are in the Lord's hand, not ours. How often the Lord said, 
that my time is not yet. Your time is always ready, but my time is not yet. There is a set time to favour Zion. You know there are some that say, we don't need to wait. You just need to accept the Lord. You just need to believe tonight. You just need to read the word and give assent to it. The time of your salvation, the time of your believing, the time of your deliverance, the time of your blessing is in your hand. The scriptures say our times are in thy hand. And the Lord is a sovereign when he will come and when you appear for his people. And that is why there's so much in the word of God of waiting upon God, waiting for him to come and his time. And often there is a real trial in awaiting in that way, that we don't go to some other ways. One of the ways that King Saul failed when the Philistines invaded the land and he was to offer a sacrifice and he was waiting for Samuel. Samuel said when he would come. And Samuel did come at the appointed time, but a lot later, right at the end of that time. But Saul was getting very edgy, upset, and he forced himself and offered the sacrifice. And then Samuel came and he said, Thou hast done foolishly. The king had no right to offer the sacrifices. And so that trial of waiting was a real test and... Saul was not waiting only on God. If God didn't come when he wanted him to, then don't worry, I'll do it instead. Uh, I'll find some other way. I won't just rest alone on him. I'll have some other scheme and insurance just in case. So the exercise of waiting upon God must have this word only in it as well. So we're looking for him to appear to help us, to appear for us, to deliver us from our adversaries, to, to bless our souls. My soul, wait thou only upon God. The third exercise is the expectation. And it is an expectation from God. A reason for waiting. He mentioned regarding the illustration of the bus stop, there is a basis upon what the waiting is. There's an expectation according to what is written in the timetable that it will come. And that expectation for the Christian, for the people of God, is upon the word of God. We may, again, really search our own heart on what is our expectation Based. Not just on the word of God, but on the application of it to our own soul and for the blessing that the Lord has given us. Really it comes in several aspects. One will be on the word of God, not on any visions or personal experiences separate from the word of God. It will be based upon what God has said that we expect he will do and he will perform. Hath he said and shall he not do it? God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that ye be able to bear it. Then we have the promise uh, that when the enemy shall come in like a flood 
I'll lift up a standard against him. And those promises, all the promises of God, are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And it's a good thing in our waiting, in our prayer, that we remind the Lord of what he is and what he has promised us. But not only is it God's word, but it's our experience of God's word. We think of uh, the word that was given to Abraham, that he would have a son. And yet 25 years or so went by before he had that son, and it was a great trial. At one time he hearkened to Sarah, took his maid, and had Ishmael. But that was not to be the promised seed. He was to wait only upon God, and God would provide him a seed. But he waited upon the Lord, and we are told in Hebrews that both he and Sarah, they had faith, and they were given the child in the appointed time. So they had that expectation, and the child came. We think of Jacob, that was given the word when he left his father and mother's home, that the Lord would be with him in all places, whithersoever he went, that he would bring him again to that land. The Lord would not leave him until he had done that which he had spoken to him of. And the Lord did bring him back to that land. But great trials he had with Laban, and then as he came back, the threat of Esau destroying him, and the wrestlings with prayer, which he put the Lord in remembrance. Thou says, return unto this land, and I will surely do thee good. And so we have these things that in the lives of the people of God, they had the word, they walked them out, and it was a personal exercise to them. They'd been given the word, given a word of promise, given the hope of a child, given the hope of returning to a land. And they had to wait for the Lord's time and the Lord's way to bring it about. But they had an expectation it would be brought about and it would happen. You think of Noah building the ark. Did not he have an expectation that God would bring the flood? He did. And he was a preacher of righteousness. Did not Daniel have an expectation that after 70 years God would accomplish the captivity in Babylon and would then bring them up out of Babylon and the Lord did and so we have the list of those that in the word they walked out this waiting with an expectation based upon what God had said to them and in these gospel days we have these cases recorded for us we are shown their lives what they waited upon the Lord for, what their expectation was based upon. And we have again and again a witness like that long cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, those that walked by faith, those that trusted the Lord would come and had a real expectation of it. And of course, with the greatest thing, the greatest expectation of the Old Testament church, was that the seed of the woman should come and should bruise the serpent's head. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, the Christmas carol states, and it is the hopes and fears of the people of God 
through the centuries were all met in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a great uh, strength to the Church of God today to view the Old Testament Church in its waiting, in its expectation that the Lord truly did come. He did appear. He did come. And the expectation of the Church today is that He will come again. When the Lord ascended up into heaven, the angels stood by them and testified that he that they had seen ascend into heaven would come again in like manner with power and with great glory. And the church looks for that. The Thessalonian church were not only converted, the word was not only in word only, but demonstration of the spirit and of power, but they were called to wait for his son from heaven. And whether the Lord comes a second time or whether he comes in the day of our death, there is an expectation that it will certainly come to pass. The Lord will come, he will appear. It is good for us in every trial, like David here. The trials, the adversaries, the things that come upon us, that the Lord will appear, that he'll help us, that he'll deliver us, that he'll save us. Always value the remembering of the uh, pathway, dear sister in faith in Australia. And when I saw her in the nursing home in her old age, especially two blessings I saw her have. Greatly blessed and favoured how the Lord came to her and then the Lord withdrew. And to see her demeanour after he'd withdrew, you know, there wasn't a rushing hither and thither. There was such a, a spirit. She knew the Lord would come again. She knew he would bless her again. She mourned. She missed his presence. She longed after him. But everything in her stated so clearly God was in control. She couldn't bring him. He would come. He would not leave her. He would not forsake her. And he did come and he did bless her. There's wonderful thing to see the Lord's people with such a trust, with such a faith, with such a quiet resting. Now if you pictured two people waiting for someone to come, one pacing up and down, one restless, one keep looking at their watch, one keep saying, are they coming? Are they really coming? The other one just sitting quietly. And every now and again they say, don't worry, they will come, they will appear. And that expectation joined with the waiting gives that quietness and belief and trust and resting upon the Lord. And David here is stating, and he's saying to his own soul, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. There's two aspects of that from him. The Lord will come, but also his expectation came from him. God gave him the expectation. 
God gave Abraham the expectation in the word he spoke to him. God gave Jacob the expectation from the word that he spoke to him when he saw the vision of the ladder set up on earth and extending up into heaven. And we may ask ourselves, where has our expectation come from? And we go back like dear Jacob and said, Thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. Thou saidst, Return unto this land. There's a basis of expectation, and it comes from the Lord, from what the Lord has said, and from what the Lord has done. So, this then is the third exercise of the soul. The fourth one is reminding ourselves of what God is. We can so. Forget, the Lord says at one time, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether one like unto thyself. And here is David, and he is reminding himself. And may we do the same. Two words again, I'd emphasis, in these two verses, six and seven, is the word my comes again and again. My rock, my salvation, my defence, my salvation, my glory, my strength, my refuge goes right through it. How personal our faith needs to be. He is not just the rock, the God of salvation, the defence of his people, but it's mine. The second word is the only, he only, only is my rock and my salvation and there is no other and that is a vital thing too. Other refuge have I none, says the hymn writer, hangs my helpless soul on thee. So in the first verse there, verse 6, he's stating three things, that God is to him, my rock, my salvation, my defence. And because of those three things, then David says that he shall not be moved. It's a blessed thing not to be tossed to and fro on every wind of doctrine, to be moved away from the hope of the gospel, to be moved away from the law. There are many that will, they have fall away. We only have the parable of the sower to show how three of those hearers, they were moved away from the word that they first heard. It did not profit them, did not bring forth fruit. But David says that having the Lord as his rock, his salvation and defence, he will not be moved. Of course, we think of the rock, uh, a rock at sea, those great big rocks and the waves beat upon them and the rock doesn't move, it is stayed, it doesn't change. And this is the picture that we have of the Lord for David. And so he reminds himself of this. The Lord has said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That shall not move. His counsel shall stand. That shall not move. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? That shall not move. The rock of our salvation, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. 
one of the great blessed truths to the people of God is that the Lord does not change, does not move himself. And because the Lord doesn't move, his people that rest on him will not move either. He only is my rock and my salvation. Salvation is deliverance from hell and deliverance to heaven. Whatever happens upon earth, we need the blessing and the salvation of the Lord in his beloved Son. And David, as well as Abraham, saw Christ's day and rejoiced at him. And the salvation of the Lord is central in the coming of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his life of perfect obedience and sinlessness, and his sacrificial death, so willingly offering himself a sacrifice for sin. It's vital that our salvation we view in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done. It is Christ that has died, yea, rather risen again, and ascendeth, and appeareth in the right hand of God. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission, our sins in Adam bring about the existence of death and the sentence of death, spiritually and literally. We are all born into this world under that sentence and under that condemnation. There is no man living that shall not see death, or the equivalent of it when the Lord returns. And so it is that in our lives we come forth from the womb speaking lies, and those sins need to be atoned for. Those sins need to be put away, either with their own blood or with another's. And it is the provision in the Lord Jesus Christ that he has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And a soul who can say with David that he only is my salvation is one that has looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ and is trusting not upon their own works and their own deeds, but solely upon what Christ has done in bearing the wrath of God, in putting away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and making a way into the holiest of all through his own precious blood. And so David, he is able to testify of this. May we never be in any doubt that all the un all the Old Testament saints from Abel's days he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Right to the end, all have been saved in the same way through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those in the Old Testament, faith in him that should come and die. And with us, faith in him who has come and who has died. And it is that one salvation, the salvation of the people of God, and yet is to be made personal to each one. For me Christ died, for me he laid down his life, I lay down my life for the sheep. Then in that beautiful chapter, John 10, we have as well the security, the defence of the people of God. No man shall pluck them out of my hand, my Father that is greater than me, no man is able to pluck them out of his hand. And so David, he is reaffirming what the Lord is to him. 
And then in verse 7, we have very similar, but we may say putting to a finer point, in God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And the way I see it is this. God doesn't say when he converts a soul, I'm going to put my salvation in you. It's up to you how you regulate your faith, how you regulate your life. It is in your hand. No, David said that is in God. It's like our Lord saying to Peter, Satan had desired to have thee, to sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. And Peter's security was in the Lord's prayer, in what the Lord would do. And David is in effect saying, my salvation is not in my hand, but it is in God. And my salvation is that which is bound up in him, secure and safe and cannot be assailed, cannot be wrenched from him at all. It is actually in God. Another aspect is of being found in him. As the apostle says to the Philippines, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is of faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps another simple illustration is with the ark, Noah's ark. What would the salvation for Noah be if he wasn't in the ark? When the destruction came, his security was being found in the ark. And so with us it's to be in Christ. And so David says, in God is my salvation. As I am found in him, there is my deliverance, there is my salvation my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. No flesh shall glory in the Lord, but in uh, shall glory in themselves, but only shall glory in the Lord. Whereas lastly, just briefly with David, after reaffirming this of himself, his own soul, then he turns to the people. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. You know, if we don't really believe in something ourselves, if we are filled with doubts and fears, then that will come across if we try and reassure and help others as well. But where we have first attended, as David had here, to his own soul, and before he speaks to others, even though he begins his psalm with a real statement of what he believes in and trusting in, he really strengthens and confirms himself, and then he speaks to others. And may we be the same, a blessing to the people of God, strengthened ourselves, and be able to speak the language that David speaks here, summed up really in verse 5, My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.